I think the continuity the winter market's given us with customers is going to be great carrying into next year. Um, we're seeing people go out of their way, you know, to come on a Saturday to get, get our produce now during the winter. In this episode of Voices from the Field, INCAT dietetics intern Melissa Wyatt sits down with beginning farmer Rick Williams and his wife Kyra to talk about strategies for selling their farm products through the winter. The couple's farm, Sugar Beet Row, is located in Butte, Montana, which is often known as the icebox of the state. They also own Dancing Rainbow Natural Grocery, a small natural food store in Uptown Butte. Rick and Kyra discuss how they have integrated Sugar Beet Row's production into Dancing Rainbow Natural Grocery, and about taking part in Butte's first winter farmer's market a few months ago. They also explore strategies for improving production and sales next winter. Let's listen. Hi, I'm Melissa Wyatt. I'm a dietetic intern rotating with the National Center for Appropriate Technology. I'm based in Butte, Montana, the Butte, Montana office. In this episode, I'm speaking with Rick and Kyra of Sugar Beet Row and Dancing Rainbow here in Butte, Montana. And we're covering on how they provide fresh pro farm produce in a farmer's market and retail setting during the winter in Montana. Rick or Kyra, either one of you can answer first. We'll start with introductions. So first, introduce yourself, share a little bit about how and why you got into farming and what kinds of uh, products you produce. I guess I'll go first. Um, I'm not the farmer of the family. I actually did grow up on a dairy farm, so I've had enough of that farming. <laughs> I actually moved out of Montana, so I wouldn't marry a farmer. <laughs> like what happened? And as for introduction, I guess I had been working at the Dancing Rainbow for about three years, just sort of off and on and always had an interest in her store, Jude Durier's store. And uh, so when it came up for sale, we worked it out. And so part of the reason that we, Rick and I looked at it really carefully was as an avenue for selling our produce at okay. Sugar, from Sugar Beet Row Farm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. A way to get that out to the community, like always reliable, right? Rather than just on a Saturday farmer's market. Good. Okay. Yeah. So looking at the market as the store more as a, a reliable, consistent source of getting the produce out there. Gotcha. Yep. All right. Yep. How about you, Rick? Yeah, this is new to me. We live about half hour east of Butte over the Continental Divide. Okay. And we started this about two years ago. We call the farm Sugar Beet Road. It's named after a street here in this town. There was a sugar beet factory built back in the 20s. And they built a, a street of row houses for the workers. The factory never opened, but those houses are still there. And just, I, I love the name. So. Gotcha. Um, I grew up in one of the houses, actually eight, number eight, Sugar Row. Yeah. Nice. Very nice history there. So farm halftime, I have a, an off farm job and we grow the basics, you know, the, the greens, the root crops, tomatoes, peppers. Strawberry. We've dabbled with strawberries, ginger, turmeric. Now we're growing microgreens year round. Um, okay. For the winter market, we kept things going outside as long as we could with hoops and row cover and then transitioned to inside into a, a caterpillar tunnel with lots of row cover inside to get as far into the winter as we could. I've always gardened. I didn't farm until I'd read an, an Elliot Coleman book. I kind of lit a fire under me okay. and I started daydreaming about turning our place into a farm and my kids working alongside me and 
in 2019, I found out I was going to be severance for my job. And so I told Kai I wanted to test the waters and try market gardening uh, part-time. She said, go for it. And if, if I'd have seen the future and known the pandemic was coming, maybe I wouldn't have done it right then, but we did. And so we started selling in 2020 at the Butte Farmer's Market. Okay. If you, I mean, if you'd known the pandemic was ha- going to happen, you wouldn't have done it. So we might not have ever, right? Right. And yet that was probably a great year to start. Yeah. 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 It, I mean, the pandemic did make a lot of different things interesting, I think, for a lot of people in ways that nobody could have anticipated. I, you yeah. Know. Yeah, definitely. So it's, it sounds like you're, you recently got into farming, although you kind of both have some background with farming or gardening or something along those lines. Yeah. So how do you go about selling your product? I know you already mentioned the farmer's markets and the dancing rainbow. Can you kind of go into a little bit more detail on that? Yeah. Starting out, I didn't dare attempt a CSA, you know, community supported agriculture or wholesale accounts or or restaurants. I just didn't want to take on that kind of risk. I didn't, you know, I'm I'm learning still about how to grow at a different scale. So I thought the farmer's market would be just a safe start. We started in Butte last summer. We started also selling in, in the Anaconda summer market. Uh, we're now selling microgreens at a couple of restaurants. And then in September, when Kyra bought this uh, natural grocery in Uptown Butte, began to sell a lot more produce and microgreens there. I had already started selling some things there to the previous owner. But what's great now, now that Kyra runs the store, you know, it's, we're not selling at wholesale prices anymore. We, we get the whole amount and I put more into packaging and labeling for the store than I do for the farmer's market. So we do sell for a little bit more at the store. Okay. I think it's working out okay. Other places, um, well, that's it for now. Yeah, the, the market, the restaurants. Okay. And the store. That sounds like a pretty decent kind of introductory spread there in terms of marketing places and channels that you can get your product out there. Can you tell me how you got in with the restaurants there? How you got to working with the restaurants to provide the microgreens to the restaurants? Sad to say it wasn't because of me. They they approached me and asked if um, they could buy some sunflower shoots and other microgreens from me. At the farmer's market? Yeah. Mm. I got to know them through the farmer's market. Okay. Personally. And one of them ran into a lot of labor issues, you know, during during the pandemic. They scaled back their hours. And we were going to start selling them uh, cut lettuce in bulk every mm. week. And we had that all planted, ready to go. And after the first delivery, they, they apologized that we, we can't, we just can't do this. And uh, so we've just scaled back to just to microgreens, to those two restaurants that we're still supplying and Dancing Rainbow. And then do you know how the winter market got started or have you been part of it since the beginning? Uh, I can give you a little bit of history on that. Courtney Nucito of the Butte Silverbow Disabilities Council. Mm-hmm. She approached Alana Furco, the, the Butte Plaza Mall manager, and floated the idea of a winter market in the mall. Mm-hmm. And the two of them made it happen. You know, this is the first winter. There's been food and craft vendors selling every other Saturday from 11 to 4 inside the mall. And around the holidays, they also had a uh, Hooterite colony come out and sell turkeys and produce, as well as Butte's uh, disability food truck. And I, th- I think it's worked out great. I'm impressed with the amount of traffic coming to the market, to our stand. It sounds like it's been good for you overall to be part of this. 
because of that high traffic, I guess. Yeah, I'm really grateful to them for making this happen. We weren't prepared. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. We'll get into that, I guess. But yeah, we ended up selling out of all of our greens and roots by late November, early December. And so now we've had that transition just to mostly microgreens and occasionally spinach. Okay. uh, More to follow. All right. Okay. So it sounds like it's really gotten the business going there a little bit more. When you're planning for the vending at a winter farmer's market, what do you have to do in comparison to what you do for summer? Are you talking in terms of selling or in terms of growing? In, in terms of growing, like how do you have to kind of plan for that? So from what I understand and what I could have done is uh, start planning for winter crops in August, September, get them grown up to maturity. By the time you hit the point where daylight drops below 10 hours a day. So that's called the Persephone period. Okay. They're essentially getting stuff grown up and then kind of keeping it hibernating through, you know, depth of winter covered up in row cover, protected, harvesting as you need it. We had some excess crops, you know, that we were able to keep going through November, but next year we'll, you know, make an effort to get seeding right, you know, in August and plan well for this. And we'll also have more um, cover, uh, more protected growing next year. We'll have a, an additional 30 by 96 high tunnel to dedicate to winter growing, not just this caterpillar tunnel we've been growing in. So it looks like expansion is kind of part of what you're doing as your next step yeah. for, for winter anyway. All right. Can you talk about your partnerships with other businesses and how these relationships impact the success of farmers markets, both in the summertime and or wintertime? You know, I wasn't privy to the conversations that were behind making this winter market happen, but I, I can imagine that there were concerns that having a, a, a market inside the mall would cannibalize sales from the the mall stores. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I feel the opposite has happened. I, I think the boost in traffic the mall has seen has helped the stores. And I can't say that for them, but that's what I, I think I'm seeing. And if it weren't for the partnership that the mall and the, the market have had, I think the winter market in a different location would be much smaller and less attended. And how about relationships with the summer market? I know the summer market's not at the mall. So how does, how do you feel that that's impacting local businesses when they have the summer market going? The Saturdays that I worked at the dancing Rambo, like the, then there's a farmer's market every Saturday in the summer, there would be so many people that would go to the, hit the farmer's market, like seven 30 or eight in the morning. And then they'd come right over to the dancing rainbow. So I definitely felt a, a, I felt a boost as a business owner in Butte from the farmer's market, you know, just, and a lot of people just kind of start wandering around town and like, Oh, you know, they find a store after having lived in Butte for a long time and just didn't know because they never ventured uptown or something like that. So it's not necessarily a part. Well, it is a partnership because of him and I, but, and a lot of people that, have met him have come over to the store you know because he says his 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 other stuff is over here so that's been good and that's kind of carried over through the winter and i would like to think that you know other people would just by going uptown to go to the farmer's market that they've hit some of the stores up there okay so not necessarily like full-on partnerships but just traffic traffic okay and yeah so it sounds like there's been kind of a win-win for the market by having people coming for both winter and summer and even the businesses that are in the surrounding area where the market's being held, whether that's uptown Butte for the summer or the mall in the winter time. Uh, 
I know this is the first real run for the winter market here in Butte. You already kind of talked about what you'll be changing for next season, including some things that you'll be doing differently in your planning and such. Are there any other lessons learned or anything else that you would think about changing or doing differently from what you're doing this year? Yeah. So we've been marketing real sparsely just because we've been selling out, you know, just an occasional post on Instagram or Facebook. We have not been doing the email blasts that we do during the summer. So, uh, you know, next year I hope to do a lot better job social media wise and getting the word out what we'll have at market because we'll have a lot more growing wise. We're going to experiment with some supplemental heat, uh, nothing crazy. We just want it just to keep one of the, one of the tunnels just above freezing. So we can try growing some of the more sensitive stuff, uh, the lettuce heads and the cut lettuce, keep that going longer in the, in the winter. So it sounds like there are some things you want to do with this that and and really kind of bolster what you're producing as well as getting the message out there that you have you know produce available during the winter do you have any recommendations if they're for produce vendors who are looking to expand either into small retail markets or winter farmers markets somebody new that hasn't done it before kind of that's who we're thinking of yeah i I guess i'd recommend just um, researching winter growing strategies kind of what we touched on Look into winter growing of spinach, mizuna, tatsoi, uh, overwintering strategies for root crops like carrots, things like that. Maybe do an informal survey of uh, customers to see if they would support, you know, a winter market. You know, for us, I think the continuity the winter market's given us with customers is going to be great carrying into next year. Um, we're seeing people go out of their way, you know, to come on a Saturday to get, get our produce now during the winter that uh, it's also given us a chance to talk more and get to know them better because it's a little bit slower than the, you know, that frantic first couple hours of the summer market. And so we actually have some conversations and it's nice, you know, building some friendships. Uh, I think that's going to just be a good thing overall for the summer as well. That's great that it sounds like uh, you, you would recommend to other vendors that are thinking about doing the winter's market that you would want them to kind of try it out and see how things go and yeah. get a sense of the that. And the continuity thing I know has been important. I visited the Missoula Farmer's Market last weekend, the winter market over there at their mall. And uh, that was one of the big things I got from one of their vendors there is that the continuity just kind of allows you to keep growing, keep keep going, having that stream of revenue coming in, you know, all of those things. And for them, they're a little bit larger operation. They have employees. It sounds like your family is the one that kind of is kind of core to helping you get things going. So, yeah, bringing all that together, I think it sounds like it's it's good for uh, people to think about or consider as an option to keep growing year round. And this one is more for you, Kara. As a small retail business owner, what advice do you have for new vendors that would want to sell, say, at your at Dancing Rainbow, for example? Uh, just approach, right? Just come and ask. I've experienced that a lot in the last few months since I, you know, I just I get cold calls from people like, "Hey, do you want to try this out?" and I might have not have a lot of time to talk to them right then, but they always email me something, right? Samples are always a good bet, right? If I can try the wares, I'm definitely going to be more apt to selling it. Yeah, just ask is one of the big things. Rick did that with um, the previous owner of the Dancing Rainbow. He just went in and said, hey, can I 
sell stuff here? And she's like, yeah, you bet. Right. Most people that are uh, into uh, local produce and stuff, they want to, they want to be able to find it. And so they are really in the market for it. So if a local store carries something local, I think a lot, I feel like a lot of people buy stuff from us just because we're local, which is great. Yeah, that is good. And it's good to hear that for a small retail store like you, you're willing to try some things and work with people who may be interested in trying to sell at a retail location. Yeah, I just think it's, I think it's fun. It's fun to get to know people. It's fun to see different products, just I just think that's one of the great things about being human, right? We're always into novelty. Yeah, definitely. Something new. Definitely. And have you done any advertising with any of this? I mean, it it sounds like people know or have discovered you from either being in Uptown or, uh, you know, at the summer market. Sounds like you've heard people just discover the things that are there in Uptown. Uh, do you do any intentional advertising of Dancing Rainbow or even Sugar Beet Row? Oh, yeah. Uh, there's a couple of bench ads advertising Dancing Rainbow in Butte. One down on Harrison and close to the pizza shop and then one uptown, just like a block away. A uh, mm-hmm. lot of tourists in the summer see those and find us. We're on, of course, Google Maps. I uh, have a little bit of a social media presence. So I'm on Instagram and and so every now and then I post something on there. I'm looking to advertise in one of the few publications. They approached me the other day. So I advertise at the Motherload and their programs Okay. for their um, performances and stuff. Nice. So it sounds like you're, you're doing a little bit with the benches. You got your, you're being approached with some new opportunities, it sounds like, and a yeah. little bit of social media. I know, Rick, you mentioned social media is kind of the primary for Sugar Beet Row. Is that, do you do anything above and beyond that or is it just? Yeah, no, just, just social media. Okay. And then maybe word of mouth, you get a lot of people when you at the booth saying, oh, I had a friend tell me about your products or. Oh, for sure. And people actually, I, yeah, I've gotten business from that, from him being at this, at the farmer's market, a lot of people just come over to the dancing rainbow. And then a lot of personally, since we bought the stores, like, Oh yeah, I had to come meet you. And then they spend time in the store. And so, yeah, he's my marketing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> you may have seen customers you may have picked up some extra customers because of the farmer's market. Yeah. But I've also met people that have come over that wouldn't normally come to the farmer's market mm. because of you Yeah. talking about me selling there, they came on over to check it out. And so, um, yeah. Yeah, we just, we just really like to get to know people. Yeah. We're just very curious about like who's behind the, who's behind it all. Definitely. And it sounds like you're in addition to some of the intentional pieces of marketing that you do with either social media or other avenues, you're kind of already marketing each other's store or produce or those kinds of things. And so it kind of gives you a kind of a loop where you connect people from one to the other. I know we kind of touched on this on, other vendors selling that are not currently selling at a winter farmer's market, for example, or at retail location, like Dancing Rainbow. But if you had like a one, one line message to give them a quick synopsis of what you would say to them, what would you tell them about being a vendor at a winter market, like Butte Winter Market or the Dancing Rainbow? What would you say to them if they're thinking about it and they're not sure they're kind of on the fence? I think I just uh, reiterate, you know, the continuity pays off. 
you know, year-round contact with with your customers, build stronger relationships. And yeah, just showing up, I think it's made a huge difference that he's there, whether he sells out and he just sticks around because then people come and chat and get to know about him and where the farm is and yeah, showing up. I know that doesn't work for all growers. Some people just won't be able to grow in the winter. Life situation yeah. won't allow for it. But um, if, right. if they could, yeah, I would recommend that. That's that's a great message to be sending out to, I think, potential vendors that may be considering doing that. And, and really just the continuity, I think, is kind of the key piece of that. Yeah. And kind of more of a nutrition-related question, because I am a dietetic intern and I've studied food and nutrition now for quite some time. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> enough to have two degrees in nutrition anyway. (laughs) Uh, But how do you feel that you're, you know, providing these products at a farmer's market, the produce that you're talking about is helping to get nutritious food to customers in Montana. You know, I don't have a meter. I can just hold up to our produce and just prove to people that it's more nutritious than what they're going to buy in a store that came from central California or Yuma, Arizona. But what I can say is that it tastes great. And when we're coming to the market, it was harvested the day before. It is so fresh and it's going to last in their, their fridge for at least two weeks. And same with what we put into Dancer Rainbow. It is, you can't get fresher than what, what we've um, put there in their cooler. Yeah. Yeah. Most of the produce that I get, even if it's organic, it comes from the Northwest. So at least, you know, five, six hours or more, right? And right. when was it harvested? And yeah, just so many people just really love the taste of so much of Rick's produce. Like they're like, Oh, those carrots. I'm just waiting for those carrots. You know, they just, it's just really, really good food. And yeah, there absolutely is a taste difference. I mean, our carrots are so sweet. Yep. Have been this winter and our greens are so tender and, you know, just last forever. So, yep. And that, I mean, that's the, if people didn't really like it, even if they were just saying that they wouldn't continue to buy it. And I'm always getting requests. Well, when is he, when is he going to have this? And when are you guys going to have that? You know, so, and I just feel like it just being local is, I don't know if it's better than being organic, but local. I mean, he grows practically organic, right? No extra stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think it's better because it's just so much closer. So much closer. Isn't it yeah. Something about this soil that you're close to is better. Kind of like the honey that's close to you. I don't know if that's true, but it feels like closer is better for you. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think there's a, something to be said. I grew up, I will say I grew up a lot with uh, family gardening. Uh, my grandparents would have like a huge garden every year in Arizona. And so you kind of you kind of grow up with the taste for those things. It's like uh, me and citrus. I grew up with a citrus too. Mm. Both my parents and my grandparents had citrus growing in in Tucson, and uh, mm. you you can't you know I I get the stuff at the store now because I don't have access to the the citrus here, but it's not the same. I will say that it is hands down. It's not the same. So I do agree. I think there is something to be said for that locality and being uh, kind of in closer contact with where the food is coming from and and that and definitely it can be something um, people can taste the difference I I think so it sounds like it almost markets itself too to some degree once people try it they're really 
like, oh, I can't get enough of this or, you know, it's really good. I got, I got to have more, you know, so. I feel, I feel it makes people's um, lives a little bit richer too. Like they feel a little bit of ownership kind of like, oh, you're right here. You're ours, right? That you're, you kind of belong, your farm kind of belongs to them too. Cause it's close. Right. Right. Like, does that make any sense? It just, yeah. And feel better, which is, you know, right. Yeah. And I think the other thing too, that you were mentioning, Rick, was those relationships and, you know, building those relationships and stuff like that, I think really also helps reinforce, you know, the consumers really wanting the product and thinking, you know, this is a great thing because it's, it's from nearby, you know, it's close. Yeah. Any other closing thoughts or comments as we're wrapping up our session here there's just some incredible markets in this state you know missoula bozeman kalispell uh helena i'm just glad to see that you know in here in our little southwest corner of the state now we're seeing a growing market and an interest in, in local food yeah montana's not just for beef there you go <laughs> <laughs> the new slogan montana is not just for beef yeah. well you can have the microgreens with your beef right definitely there you go there's room on the plate for all of it at least in the nutrition perspective so <laughs> oh he strips of steak on a salad right there you yeah. go yeah definitely so thank you for chatting with me today and part- participating in this podcast it's been great to have you and and kind of talking through you know, what it is you do and how you do it to get it to winter markets and to be at the Dancing Rainbow and having that product there. And it's great to hear all about what you do and what you provide to the uh, farmer's market and here in the winter and in the summer as well. So I want to thank you again for participating with us today. Thanks for having us. You're welcome. Thank you, Melissa. I enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. Additional information about this episode and related resources can be found at atra.incat.org. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to Voices from the Field wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Rich Myers. ATRA, Voices from the Field, is produced by the National Center for Appropriate Technology, headquartered in Butte, Montana. It's supported by the USDA Rural Business Cooperative Service as part of NCAT's ATRA Sustainable Agriculture Program. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this recording are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of the USDA or NCAT. We'll catch you again next week, and until then, keep on farming.